three, two, one. Got him. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. oh my gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to... got all the advantages. Easy. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod. I am your co-host, senior writer of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, Mike Craven. Joined as always by Jay Arnold, former Fighting Texas defensive lineman. Jay, any good barbecue lately? Uh, what's going on with the barbecue scene right now? Oh man! So I actually uh, I worked at a barbecue joint this weekend. I was helping hey. out. I was lending in a hand. Uh, that's why I wasn't at the spring game. I was uh, I was helping out at a bar a barbecue up in uh, Montgomery. Uh, my buddy Coop and uh, I was uh, I was working the register. I you know I posted the picture. I was on the ones and twos, uh, except instead of the the turntables, I was uh, pushing buttons on the uh, on the register. Have you gotten into barbecuing yourself yet at a high level? Like, is that something you do regularly or are you not yet to that place in your life? Definitely not at a high level. Uh, it's the, the problem with living in an apartment is I just don't have smoker access. Yep. Uh, if I had like a backyard, I would probably do it more. And I, and I do smoke like, I mean, we did a prime rib for Christmas when I was back home with my family. We'll do like fajitas or an occasional brisket. It's just a, it's a time consuming process, even if it is like on a, a pellet smoker, like we have, or like my parents have uh, back up in Rockwall. Uh, but no, definitely not on a high level. I, I have aspirations and dreams, but uh, I'll need to get out of the apartment before I can do that. I enjoy grilling. I've not gotten into the smoking. It's just a time commitment that my ADHD brain has a hard time with, right? Like I, so I grew up in the country, uh, but I never got into hunting, never got into fishing because it happens too early in the morning. You got to get up three, four o'clock in the morning. I, it's not, it's not that fun, right? I'm not going to get up four o'clock in the morning uh, to do many things. Uh, and one of those things I'm not getting up at three, four o'clock in the morning to do is go check the temperature of a pork butt. And so I just haven't, I haven't quite got there yet, but it does look fun. And I, I love barbecue as well. Although you're not here yet, but I'm in my late thirties and I'm getting to the point where I have to choose carefully when I eat smoked brisket. Uh, that will, that will ruin the rest of my day. Uh, heartburn and situations like that. So like if I'm with anybody or I'm like not going straight back to my house, I've turned into a turkey and sausage kind of guy. I respect that. And I, I do keep the uh, the thumbs on me at all times. Uh, yeah. Just just to be a little bit prepared for the heartburn. Before we move on to Aggie football in the spring game, I did a tour of DFW last week. Uh, TCU, Denton, uh, SMU for Dallas. And then I, I live in Austin. So on my way back, I stopped in Waco and did a day with the Baylor bears. Uh, for those who don't know for Dave Campbell's, this is kind of our magazine season where we start putting together the summer magazine. And I try to go uh, to each of the FBS programs across the state. Uh, and I was so hungry. I left, I was at TCU for a long period of time on Monday. I had to drive up to Denton. Uh, I would like to eat really good food when I'm on the road, but there are times where you're just tired. You want to just grab something real quick that you're familiar with and go back to your hotel room. You just don't have time to go really search out good fare. Uh, so I stopped at Rudy's, uh, the worst barbecue in Texas. And I wanted to ask you, Jay Arnold, barbecue aficionado, uh, are you allowed to stop at Rudy's? What is your Rudy's? Because before you get it, 
I would say Rudy's is fine. The sides are probably better than the meat. If you stick with the turkey, it's pretty good. That that's that's my rating of, of Rudy's. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm not gonna bash on you for stopping at Rudy's. Uh and then I, I don't think it's the worst barbecue in the state either. I mean, as long that's as, just uh, their slogan. That's their slogan. <laughs> uh i mean there's uh there's some other chains in particular that i think may uh may not be uh exactly palatable uh it's better rudy's is better than dickie's yeah that's uh that's kind of where i was going with that i know i was gonna Uh, say it for you (laughs) but uh, the thing is you can you can load up a baked potato with sauce and butter and cheese and still be fine yeah uh and and let's be honest here like Yes, I, I have a high standard of barbecue now just because I've done the Texas Monthly Top 50 lifts and and beyond and gone to so many of these places that are uh, just executing at such a high level. But I still eat at Taco Bell. Exactly. Like, I think we I think we talked about this at, yeah. in like one of the first episodes. Yes, I enjoy certain high quality food, but I'm also a bit of a human garbage disposal at times as well. That's one of the things I hate about people when they start talking about food or really anything where it's like, it has to be the greatest or it sucks as if we can't just like eat a meal, just a throwaway meal. I eat three a day, sometimes four, occasionally five if I'm on the road and and I'm hungry and up too late. Uh, But it's okay if not every single one is like a culinary classic. Um, And so some people just get so high and mighty about their food. I ate 12 straight meals on the road the other day. I had to stop. And just get some Rudy's. I was going to see if you're going to judge me for it. I'm proud of you. This is why we're good co-hosts together. Yeah, absolutely not going to judge you. I mean, sometimes I want to watch uh, Inception. Sometimes I want to watch the Bob's Burgers movie. That's perfect. That's perfect. I am not going to be uh, judgmental of of everything being art. I can appreciate art. I can also appreciate, uh, I mean, it's still art to me, but it's art. what would be a classified as a lesser art? Uh, to some, I mean, this, this, we can get really into the weeds here. I think sports in general are art, but, uh, some people would look down on them as not an art. I think, uh, all the things that you do physically to your body to, uh, execute, uh, a choreographed game plan. Let's be honest here. It's an art form in its own way. Speaking of art, that's what I watched earlier when Liverpool beat the brakes off of Leeds. And that crappy American-made team. If there's anything to make you feel not great about the next World Cup, it's that a collection of some of our best players are about to get relegated in the English Premier League. Liverpool beat the crap out of them. Speaking of a beatdown, White earned a 33-19 to victory over Maroon on Saturday at Kyle Field. Pretty close game in the first half. Low-scoring affair early on. Uh, then White, White went away with it. Uh, quarterbacks define every conversation in college football, especially in the spring when there's slightly a quarterback battle, uh, Connor Wegman, 17 of 40 for 243 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Max Johnson went 21 of 37 for 273 yards and three touchdowns. Jay, we're, we're on record as not being guys that are going to take a ton from a spring game and make these ridiculous statements based on a glorified practice in front of a few thousand fans. But are you as comfortable with saying Connor Wegman is the guaranteed first week starter as we were maybe when we started this podcast a month ago? I'm still pretty confident in that myself. Me too. Uh, I, I look, you're looking at a a spring game where uh, the offensive line, the starters were, you know, not necessarily there, and not to take away from the uh, guys that did play, but it's 
it's kind of a patchwork offense, kind of a patchwork defense as well. Uh, again, like I am not drawing many conclusions at all from this. I, I've watched it three times, and each time I'm just like begging something to really like jump out at me as far as like a, a light bulb going off and a concrete takeaway. I don't have one. I, I really don't as far as, uh, you know, being more confident or less confident than I was going into the spring. Uh, let me ask you, let me ask you this real quick. Uh, you mentioned the offensive lineman. And for those who didn't watch or didn't get a chance to kind of read up about it, there were seven healthy scholarship offensive linemen. Essentially they put them in black jerseys and that way those offensive linemen could play on both teams because they didn't have enough offensive linemen to, to field two teams. Is that a concern going into year six for Jimbo or is that just injuries happen and, and you can't have uh, too many scholarship offensive linemen and Matthew Wyckoff leaves and, and no, there's no need to be making a big deal about that. Or is that a sign that maybe the offensive line isn't as, isn't as, in as good of a shape maybe as it should be going into the summer. I don't think it's as big as a concern. And the, okay. the, the other thing too, is like spring is a time for your guys to get healthy if they aren't. Sure. Everybody's so, got a couple bang up surgeries and stuff like that to clean something up. Yeah, and and if you if you're gonna have a guy miss time, you want him to miss time during the spring. I mean, it's it's not ideal, right? Like you, ideally, you would have everybody healthy all the time, and and they would just be able to practice. But that's just not the the scenario going into uh, the off season this year for A and M. Uh, so having guys. Uh, get healthy in the spring. And then a guy like uh, Bryce Foster, who's also competing in, in track and field. Uh, some people get upset about that as well. Uh, I personally, you know, I, I love it for the guy that he's able to, to do both at the collegiate level. Uh, but it, it's, I want guys to be healthy. I think that's a lot more important than getting reps in spring. And you had guys that were probably, you know, playing through injuries throughout the fall, uh, weren't able to get healthy and then they get to the spring and they're finally able to get those so because there's not there's not a game i mean yes it's the spring game but there's not really a game at the end of spring so there's no reason to really put those guys through it uh when you have a chance to get them healthy in time for fall and if there is a benefit to the spring game it's getting those young guys some action in front of some fans letting them go through a, a semi-pre-game ritual where you're going through the tunnel and you're you're warming up out there and have a real countdown and keeping score and so for the guys who played a decent amount last year yeah like you said just just let them give them time and you're giving those younger inexperienced guys uh chances and nowadays with the transfer portal and early enrollees you have 10 to 20 dudes usually that are in their first couple months on on campus Uh, it's a benefit there but but yeah i'm with you not going to take too much from it um again we talked about the quarterbacks i think we're both on the same same page there Connor Wegman's the dude. Um, running backs, I, I was actually pretty impressed by all three, you know, Daniels, Moss, Owens, those three guys. Uh, you said you watched it three times. I watched it twice. Where, would anything stand out to you in the running game? I feel like Ruben Owens has a little bit of a, a wiggle that maybe the other two guys don't. Yeah, I think he does. Uh, and he's already pretty good at catching the ball out of the backfield, which mm-hmm. is a, a big bonus as a freshman. Uh, I, I do like Le'Veon Moss, too, just the physicality that he runs with. Uh, there were times where where he was kind of uh, a patient running back, letting the play develop ahead of him, and uh, was able to, to make some things happen. And then Amari Daniels, I think, has, uh, has some uh, – for a guy of his stature, has a little bit of physicality to him as well. 
Uh, I think maybe that's the one area where Ruben Owens is going to have to adjust a little bit. And I think he'll make that adjustment pretty quickly. It's just the physicality aspect of it. But I think you're right. He does have a little bit of wiggle to him. And then, like, again, like I said, he's already pretty good at catching the ball out of the backfield, which is not something a lot of uh, running backs usually do well when they first get on campus. I feel like some of this is a product of, of seven on seven and how big it's exploded there. But like Ruben's playing slot receiver a lot of times throughout the off season doing, doing seven on seven stuff that has to help running backs get better and better at catching the ball, you know, where they're not arriving on college campus without doing it. It's different with pads on, uh, but still that's got to help you a little bit there. Um, it feels like to me, he's going to have to be a guy that the staff figures out a way to, to get the ball to because he's so explosive. At the same time, though, with young running backs, you got to worry about the pass protection. And that's something we don't talk about a lot. It's something you're not going to see in the spring game. But he's going to dictate how much he's on the field based on how much he can do those little things like pass block, like catch out of the backfield. And it looks also as if he's going to help out on special teams in the return game as well. Yeah, uh, we did see him return a kick. And I mean, like you said, when somebody's that explosive, you find ways to get them involved, get the ball in their hands. And uh, special teams is a great way to do that, especially with uh, Devon A-Chain leaving that role in the kick return game. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I do think that, you know, to this point, AM hasn't been uh, too much of a stable program as far as rotating through a stable of running backs. Uh in the backfield, I think they've mostly had their guy and then gone to one running back to spell him. I think this year is the first year where, like, I would much rather see him go to a stable where they rotate all the guys in, uh, give everybody a few more touches. Uh, obviously, you know, the first Jimbo years is Travion Williams. Uh, then you have Isaiah Spiller. Then you have Devon A-Chain take over. This year, I don't immediately see one of the three taking over right away. Uh, but I think they're all good enough to contribute in their own ways. Uh, so hopefully we see the rotation and uh, keep fresh legs on the field. But it, it will be interesting to see if uh, A&M goes away from something that they've done in the past. And then out wide at wide receiver, Evan Stewart. I mean, Mike Evans, the last time Texas A&M had a, had a wide receiver this good. I mean, he's – He's legit in the conversation for best wide receiver in the state. He could end up being one of the best wide receivers in the nation uh, with the top top notch quarterback and, and passing game situation. He's excellent. Anaya Smith back and Moose Muhammad's going to be there. I have it on pretty good authority that Tyron Smith, a UTEP transfer, is going to transfer back. He's not going to be around uh, come summer because Anaya Smith is back, and that was kind of going to be you know where he slid in. Uh, but still, with those three guys, you know, plus a really good tight end room. Um, where does this skill position group talent stack up in recent memory uh, with what you can think of Texas A&M's had? And while you talk about that, I'm going to go turn off my TV in the other room that is making a whole lot of noise. <laughs> yeah, I got you. So uh, you look at the receivers that, that Texas A&M has. Obviously, getting Anaya Smith back is, is a huge one. Uh, having Tom Smith from UTEP would have been nice. Obviously, uh, provides a little depth there. But uh, then you look at Evan Stewart, who, like you said, is possibly going to be one of the best receivers in the state. Uh, I think he's just an incredible, incredible athlete. Obviously, like I mean, you brought up Mike Evans. They're very different receivers and uh, just from the size component. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like draft stock. Has, yeah, 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 yeah. Like sim similar, similar impact on the game. 
right? Like they can both just be an absolute game changers. Uh, and I look at uh, a guy like, you know, Noah Thomas got kind of banged up early on in the spring game, but I think he's another guy who's, who's a, a possible contributor at the receiver position. And then honestly, I was pretty impressed with the new guys with uh, Cottrell and uh, uh, Mike Tease as well. Uh, both of those guys I thought looked, looked pretty good at the receiver position. And, and that just, has to really give you some confidence if you're AM, knowing you have all those weapons. And then, like you talked about, the tight end room. Uh, this tight end room, I think, is as good as any in the nation. Uh, I mean, we didn't even see Donovan Green out there. Yeah. And I think he's going to be one of the best tight ends in the nation. But, you know, Jake Johnson looked really good when he was out there. Uh, obviously, uh, Theodore Mellon Olmstrom is. There's a little bit of a learning curve for him, but he seems like he's taking another step forward. And then you look at uh, Fernando Garza, who had some some pretty good catches there uh, during the game as well. Uh, and then, I mean, Platt coming in as a newcomer, that's still a lot of talent. So uh, we'll see, you know, between the right wide receivers and the tight ends, I think A&M has an opportunity to do a lot of, a lot of different things with personnel groupings that could create mismatches. So I'm kind of excited to see uh, if Bobby Petrino kind of uh, kind of plays with it a little bit more and, and gets a little creative with some of those personal graphics as well. Got my TV turned off just in time for my dog to start barking at an imaginary <laughs> creature in the backyard. Um, yeah. It just feels like a position group that has so many different ways to attack you. Evan Stewart on the outside making circus catches. It doesn't even matter. If you cover him well, if, if Wegman can find those deep shots down the field, that's going to be incredible for the vertical passing game. And Nia Smith is, is just a mismatch. He's too fast for linebackers. Uh, he's too physical for safeties, usually too fast for them as well out of the slot. We talked about the tight ends and just, you know, now you can have two or three of them on the field at the same time and create those mismatches. You know, Moose Muhammad, like, they just have so many ways to come at you. And you mentioned Noah Thomas. He was named, you know, the, uh, what did they name him? The the most, the offensive MVP of the spring, like not just the spring game, but of the spring, he was named, you know, the offensive MVP there. Um, so a, a big spring from him. And it just shows the depth of that position. And we've had years where we went into the season for AM wondering who the top target was going to be. And if they had two or three guys that could be reliable. Now it feels like they have too many guys almost. Uh, and they're going to have to work on getting them all on the field, spreading the ball around, keeping everybody engaged. Uh, did you notice anything different in the offense? We had joked last week about, you know, Jimbo systems are systems and everybody runs the same uh, stuff in college football. It's just about execution. Uh, I know the spring game is usually vanilla. They're not doing a lot of stuff, but just from a guy who knows football, did you notice them doing any different formations or, or motions or anything that you noticed off the top? Yeah. So one thing I'll say is I felt like they were throwing the ball out of the eye formation a little bit more, uh, which I mean, it got a little bit predictable last year with you line up in the I formation, AM's looking to run it. I mean, there was a couple of times where AM goes to the I formation and hits deep balls. Uh, and I think that's just kind of a new element. You didn't get as much of the pre snap motion as I kind of thought. But again, that's probably just uh, AM looking to keep it a little vanilla in the spring. Uh, it felt like there was a little more tempo to the offense. Uh, kind of hard to tell. You know, it, it didn't seem like. And again, this could just be AM in the past, like has had to call timeouts to deal with the play clock running down. I don't know if there even was a play clock. I wasn't, you know, it didn't look like there was one. 
uh, where they were calling delay of games, but it did feel like the offense was moving a little bit faster. It'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of what what happens there, what they were holding back, or what they just didn't get through, you know, this spring. Just you know, a new a new coaching staff kind of getting used to to new players, at least as you know the play caller um, gets there. Uh, offensive line before we move move to defense anything to take from that or is there so many guys missing that that unit's going to look so different that you know you just kind of get through that day and move on to the offseason yeah I think for the offensive line it's more about getting through the day but there's a few guys that you know I kind of like to see out there Martin Naboo I thought had a, a pretty good uh, performance out there and then obviously you know seeing uh, Chase Pesantis uh, as, as a newcomer and you know he doesn't look necessarily like a newcomer out there uh, that's uh, about the highest compliment you can give a guy at offensive line as a true freshman uh, coming in as an early enrollee in the spring. Uh, but at the same time, we don't know what the uh, actual offensive line lineup is going to look like uh, with so many of the starters out. So uh, I'm kind of holding back on my, my takeaways, but uh, I think there's reason to be hopeful uh, with some of the depth you have. Well, like the interior of the offensive line is going to be fine. They're going to be fine guard center guard, especially if Bryce Foster is healthy and gets a full season under her belt. Uh, you know, Matthew Wyckoff transferring hurts the depth a little bit up there. Uh, but as you mentioned, uh, Naboo looked good. Uh, Remington Strickland also was those two were the most improved offensive players, you know, named after after spring. So that's good up front. Uh, but just with those low numbers and those many guys missing, it's just hard to get a feel for it. We'll see more, obviously, in the summer uh, and, and into fall camp. Uh, defensively, um, Torian York led the group with eight tackles. Uh, Aaron Trevino on uh, his kind of debut there, seven tackles, an interception, and I White had four hurries. Kind of what were your thoughts defensively? For me, what stood out is Bryce Anderson is a monster. Yeah, Bryce Anderson's a really special player, but uh... – Linebacker is one of the positions AM I think is really worried about. And Torian York having the spring game that he did. Uh again, we don't want to draw too many conclusions given the uh you know this what a spring game is. But uh Torian York I thought looked pretty good. Uh you know, the safety position for AM I think is maybe the strongest on the field. Uh, from an experience standpoint, you combine the experience and the talent. I think it is the best position on the field. But I really like uh, the defensive line at AM as well, which uh, we, we've always said that that is a very talented, talented group. They have more experience now. And uh, I think it's going to be uh, pretty frightening for teams that uh, face AM to try to figure out how they're going to block uh, what is an incredibly talented unit up front. Let's let's break this down a little bit more because I have the opinion that the interior of Texas A&M's defensive line is going to be one of the best in the nation. Yeah. I still worry about the edges, but on the at the defensive tackle position, we got McKinley Jackson rolling through there, Shamar Turner, Walter Nolan looked as good and as gauged as, as he's looked since he since he got there. Uh, Albert Regis, Isaiah Rakes was were named, you know, two of the most improved players on the defensive side of the ball. So up for, and then that's before we even get to DJ Hicks, five-star talent, you know, top player in the state showing up in June. Uh, it feels like the defensive tackles uh, can be amongst the best in the, in the nation. That's got to make your heart warm. Yeah. And then uh, Gabriel Brunlow Dendy too, I think yep. is uh, another one that, that had a pretty good spring game, but yeah, like you said, the, the defensive tackles, you know, the edge can be 
I can see where you're coming from worrying about the edge. But even some tackles, I don't think there's any question. There's a ton of talent there. I think uh, Malik Silla at the edges is going to be a pretty yeah. special player. He's a really good football player that I don't think got – the way Katie plays football, sometimes their prospects don't get this huge amount of – the the un the untold story about recruiting is that most of the recruiting guys live in Dallas, you know. So the Houston guys don't get as much pub as the DFW guys. They don't get seen as often by the guys who move the needle at twenty four seven rivals in some of those places. Uh, I feel like every time I saw Katie play, it was like, dude, that number ninety two is going to be really really good, and and he looked the part in spring. Do you think it's overrated to need? that number one edge rusher that strikes fears and offensive hearts, or does it just come down to numbers? And if you can do it by the group, then that's just as good as having that one guy on the edge that demands double teams. Having that one edge guy, I think can make a difference, but when you're as good across the line as A&M is, and you have as many weapons uh, as far as athleticism and, as a quarterback, I think sometimes those guys are, are are more worried about the guys that are coming right at their face, right? Like, you know, it, it's one thing to have the edge rushers, uh, the guy that can get you from behind. But if you have uh, guys like Walter Nolan, who, uh, I mean, I was really impressed with his quickness, even more so than last year, uh, barreling down on you in a hurry, you don't have time to, to get rid of the ball almost. It's, it's like your interior lineman getting beat, you know, at the snap of the ball, it's – it's a different feeling than, than getting edge pressure. Uh, with that being said, I think you want to have that, that edge presence. And I think uh, Scylla is, is the guy that can be that for A&M going forward. That being said, uh, LT Overton has slimmed down a little bit. I think he, mm-hmm. he's a guy that could, uh, could make a step forward with a little bit more speed on the edge as well. Yeah, I feel maybe this is just old school football brain talking, but it just feels like A&M needs somebody to emerge as the guy on the edge that like on third down, he's on the field that he's, he's being game planned around that he's helping free up some of those inside guys that you can't double team and, and concentrate so much on the Walter Nolans and the Shamar Turners uh, rushing up the middle. And as you mentioned, I've never met a quarterback that didn't talk about how interior pressure was, was the biggest detriment to their game. You know, even, even guys like Tom Brady, if you watch the games that they play poorly, it's because dudes up front are, are right in their face and you can flush guys to the outside. Maybe that helps with the sack numbers as well. Are you a hurries matter more than sacks guy or, or do sack numbers still carry a lot of weight in your world? I like both, right? Sacks yeah. look a lot prettier on the, uh, yeah. on the stat sheet. You want to have those sacks, but realistically it's about creating pressure. Uh, mistakes happen at the quarterback position when you create pressure. So hurries can be just as good as a sack. You know, I don't know if we really need to spend time talking about the Texas A&M secondary. It, it feels like one of those things. They were number one in passing defense last year. They lose Antonio Johnson. They lose Jalen Jones. It, it feels like they're going to be almost as good, if not as good, uh, this year. Bryce Anderson is crushing his own teammates. Who knows what he's going to do to real opponents come the fall out of the nickel. I'm really excited to see him play there. You know, Tony Grimes, Sam McCall coming in from the ACC. Instant help at, at corner. Tariq Ch- Chappelle. And a lot of people's mind is is a first round NFL draft pick next year if he can if he can stay healthy and be the lockdown corner that we've seen. We talked about safety maybe being the deepest and most talented position on the roster. So A and M is going to be excellent in the secondary if they get more pass rush. You know that's going to make them even better on the back end because you won't have as much time to go up against them. For me, 
this defense comes down to to what we just talked about the pass rush and, and finding guys off the edge that can rack up those sack numbers and then it's just the linebacker position where do you kind of see this going do you think that the talent on campus is enough or is that a spot where a&m can go really attack the portal over this next month and try to you know sure up the ranks i think if you're looking at the linebacker position you still want to go attack the portal yeah uh, just because i mean you look at russell and, and cooper who i think are both solid players and then you have harris as the third guy that's been on campus uh after that it's it's freshman in, in Sanford and uh, in York, who, again, I thought both of those guys looked good. I thought York in particular looked great, uh, but you need depth. You need depth in this league. Uh, it's just a position that's going to have, uh, by the nature of the physicality of the position, going to have guys go down at some point during the year. And you have to have somebody ready to step up. Uh, and the more depth you can have there, I think the better which is why I think AM needs to get in the portal and, and get a, a little bit more uh, security at that linebacker position. Yep. It feels like, like the spot that that's going to be figured out. They were 123rd in rush defense last year. You know, to me, that's a lot on the linebackers. We've talked about it on the show about scheme and just fitting in the right places. Maybe year two under DJ Durkin helps all those guys we mentioned, uh, but it's tough to go into a season in the sec where somebody's going to get hurt, right? Like it's, a, that's a physical position. That's like running back on the defensive side of the ball, it's physical. You're going to miss a game or two because of a shoulder deal or an ankle deal or, or something for your two primary backups to be true freshmen. That's a, that's a, that's a tough spot to be in, especially when you look at the talent and depth up front of the defensive line and the talent and depth at cornerback, the talent and depth at, at safety, the odd man out is absolutely linebacker. And I, I think Torian York's going to be a star. I remember going and seeing him at Temple when he was young. When like Quentin Johnston was still there at Temple. The coaching staff was already like, we got this young guy coming up who's going to be a really good football player. I'm excited to see what he does on the college level. Uh, but it'd be better for AM if he didn't have to be a star player, you know, eight months into his college football career. Right. And I mean, I had as a as a freshman when I was playing at AM, you know, we, we had true freshmen at the linebacker position come in and have to play right away. And it's just you're diagnosing so much as a linebacker that it's tough. I mean, uh, Jordan Master Giovanni was the guy who came in at the mic position and and was making calls. And and that's just something that, you know, even more so than as a defensive lineman trying to make the adjustment as a true freshman, that is a huge mental leap uh, for, for a true freshman at the linebacker position. And, uh, you know, I think York is capable of it. I think he's going to be a heck of a ball player, but you would still like him to have a little bit more time. I will say that him coming in the spring just helps in that factor though. I mean, it's, uh, it's just going to give him that much more time to kind of adjust to the mental aspect of the game. We spent almost 30 minutes on the maroon white spring game. I feel like we deserve some kind of medal there. Um, I know, you know, we've mentioned this a few times, you know, we're not going to draw any big conclusions about the offense or the defense or the whole team in general. I will say though, you watch this spring game and then go put on last year's spring game, and it feels like the offense is three steps forward. It feels like there was a little bit more excitement, a little bit more continuity, some more explosion. Uh, it just looked like a better group and a better team. Go like When I left the spring game last year, it was like, oh, no, what is this offense going to look like? And, and that got proven true. Leaving it this year, it felt like, man, they got a lot of weapons. They got a good quarterback. They have a good backup quarterback. If they just figure out the offensive tackle positions and get the running game going, you know, this is going to be a good football team. 
And it, it just feels like there's a little bit more continuity. It just yeah. feels like there's a little bit more rhythm. Uh, last year, it, it was just so disjointed in the spring game. And, and, you know, this year, even with all those guys out on the offensive line, it still felt like the offenses, like you said, were three steps forward. And, uh, I mean, obviously, there was a, a big – a uh, big win for AM to build off of. You you beat the number five team in the in the country to to close out your season. Uh, you can take something away from that, but I think the offense just feels like more of a threat uh, than than we saw last spring. Uh, and and then on the flip side of that, Jimbo seems a little bit happier too. Uh, he which does. Is, is he does. A, a good sign. He's joking around with the media, making jokes about the Houston Chronicle and Sports Illustrated. I feel like Sports Illustrated got sideswiped. He did, it's like he threw the Chronicle under the bu- bus and then knew he needed to add a partner to it. You know, he couldn't just like <laughs> run over one one group. He had to he had to run over a couple people. Uh, I know that got kind of exploded. We're recording this on Monday. I, I know that exploded over the internet on Monday. Uh, but he was completely joking. He was having a good time. He he was. He was winking at people and doing different stuff. Like, I feel like I know this is dumb. This is media dumb stuff. And this probably isn't true what I'm about to say. Uh, but it does feel like a, a good sign that your your head coach is in a good mood and laid back and having, having a fun time and not super stressed out. When we started spring, his press conference didn't feel that way. So to end spring with a press conference like that, it, he, feel, he felt like a man who – enjoyed what he saw over the 15 practices in the spring. I think so. And, you know, obviously people probably saw the headline of, of what Jimbo said. Are gonna, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. If you read it, it's way worse. Context. Yeah. If you read it, if you read it, it's way worse than the way he said it. He was having like, a good time. The The video with the winks is, uh, it, it looks much better than it reads. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. but I'm, I'm still laughing a little bit about that. Uh, it was it was good to see though. I, I mean, yeah, it is a little bit of media, uh, us saying that uh, the coach is a lot more comfortable. But at the same time, I think Jimbo's kind of an emotional guy. Yep. So he he wears his emotions on his sleeve, and when you see positive emotions, I think you can read into that as a member of the media or as a as a fan. You you can look at that and say, all right, he looks a little bit more relaxed. I think this is a good thing for the team going forward. He doesn't need to look like he's doing a war briefing in April. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be that stressful. It, it should be a little bit more laid back, a, a little bit more fun. So I think that's a positive note. I'm here for coaches using the press conferences as a roast session more often. Um, that would be great uh, for the media. I feel like we can take it. He kind of made a joke about how like, oh, y'all, y'all can give me flack, but you can't take any flack back. I promise you from a media standpoint, if we wouldn't like to use the last five minutes to roast all of us, like we would take that content in a heartbeat. I am here for coaches getting a little bit more personable in the world of like, this is super big. Like we're spending billions of dollars. Who's going to get fired? Who's going to stay at the end of the day, it's freaking football, man. And so it's a good, it's good to kind of see him look a little bit more relaxed and, and having fun compared to, to maybe at the first part of the spring. Yeah, man, we talk about that. Football is supposed to be fun. It's fun. It's fun, man. It's it's just it's a bunch of dudes running into each other, tackling people and stuff. It's fun. Yeah, it's uh it'll be interesting to see if AM can build off this and uh kind of keep the momentum going forward. Uh, the the offense, like we said, improved, the defense more experienced. Uh I don't want to tell AM fans that they should be excited going forward, but I think there's some hope. Yeah, 10 and 2 going to the conference championship game. Jay Arnold, he said it here first <laughs> on the Aggie War Pod. 
Um, I do think, I think that's a good point though, because like on the outside, it feels very easy to be like, wow, what's happening with A&M? They had a five win season last year. The sky is falling. How long is Jimbo going to stay? Everything's bad. Ha ha ha. Uh, But if you really get into it, you know, they beat the number five team in the nation last year. They've signed really good recruiting classes the last couple of years. And if you're Jimbo, you can walk in that locker room and go, guys, we can't be as injured as we were last year. Like we were playing babies in big games last year. I mean, like true freshmen all over the place, all these injuries, all these guys out. I mean, it was it was becoming a Twitter like comic strip the way that the the beat writers were having to put out injury lists and it would take up two tweets, you know, because they couldn't fit it in. I mean, the Florida game in particular. Right, right. And so if you're you're Jimbo, I think you can exit spring and go, look, we're going to be better offensively because we got a a bona fide play caller and everybody's gotten better on that side of the ball. We can't be as bad as we were against the run last year. And we're going to be healthy. And if you can beat the number five team in the nation last year and LSU can make a jump, you know, from kind of average team to, to SEC championship game, you know, why not A&M? Yeah, and especially with, uh, I think, uh, an SEC West, it's kind of wide open. Exactly. Uh, it's not loaded Georgia, like it has been. Georgia looks like the team to beat this year. And, uh, you know, in the years past, it's been Alabama in the West. Uh, obviously, you know, the, that's not saying the SEC West is going to be easy by any means, because it's not. But I think there is an opportunity for A&M to step up. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, they have all the talent in the world. You know, they got got a couple problem spots. And, and what's nice for AM, everybody likes to complain about the transfer portal, but it's helping these programs. It's the better is coming in than leaving, right? The importing outweighs the exporting, uh, especially for schools like AM, uh, Texas, you know, Oklahoma, those kind of schools. They're not losing their star players. You know, they're losing guys who can't get roster spots and getting replaced by hired mercenaries, honestly, you know, from around where you can go, hey, we have this band-aid that we need to fill here. Come fill it for us. You know, like you're a good player, you know, come, come do that. Kind of like what Tyron Smith was going to be when they thought Anai Smith uh, was going to the NFL. Um, and so if you're AM, I think you look around and you go, you know, maybe offensive tackle, uh, maybe another, another interior player just to kind of replace, you know, Wyckoff's number um, linebacker, obviously. And then maybe on the edge, other than that, you got a pretty complete team. You know, everybody's got holes. Everybody lacks depth on the offensive line. Like that's just, that's just, I've gone to seven schools now and they've all said the exact same thing about wanting more depth along the offensive line. Uh, so I think Texas A&M is going to be fine. I'm super interested to see what that over under number is going to be for A&M. Um, yeah. I would set it at eight. Like if I was a book, I would set it at eight. And if I was to set it at eight, I, I still feel like I'd maybe lean seven over nine just because nine and three feels like a huge jump back uh, for the Aggies. Uh, But like I do every single spring with all of these teams in state, I get a little too close and I start going, well, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe they can win nine. Maybe they can win 10. If things bounce right, like we were saying, (laughs) the SEC's SEC's open, the road games against Ole Miss and against LSU are are what concern me the most. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like I said, uh, A&M can win 10. They can win nine. Uh, they can just as easily go four and eight. So uh, <laughs> right. we'll uh, we'll see what happens here. Uh, it's there's just so many different outcomes depending on who stays healthy. Uh, if the offense continues this momentum that we saw from the spring game and and from that last game of the year against LSU, uh, there are just so many so many variables in football, and it's uh it's a little bit nerve wracking to 
to try to nail down one solid prediction, but uh, I, I think that there's a lot to be hopeful for if you're an AM fan. I believe on paper, and I, I do gamble a lot, so I have a decent feel on this. I have a better feel on gambling lines than I do on actual football. I feel on paper Texas A&M right now would be favoring eight of the 12 games. I think at Tennessee, at Ole Miss, at LSU, and then home to Alabama. Uh, so, yeah, are, I'm not even sure about at Tennessee, even though, you know, right. whenever we ran down the schedule, uh, that was uh, – you know yeah. how Vegas works, though. It's yeah. all about it's creating even money. It's not about who's better and who's worse or whatever. It's about creating even money. Tennessee coming off the year that they had last year, AM coming off the year that they had last year. I feel like the books would make that Tennessee minus three toss up neutral site type uh, line just to kind of get the money uh, going both ways. But it feels like, you know, at Miami is a toss up. That Arkansas game is always weird. But on paper, it feels like AM is going to be uh, favored in eight of the eight of the 12. I, I do think the line's going to open at eight, uh, maybe eight and a half. Uh, if it opens at seven and a half, my money's on eight, like a lot of it. Like I'm talking a lot of money on eight. I, I, I went through the A&M schedule the other day for magazine prep and I landed at eight and four. And so it, it feels like that. Anything above that's going to be a success. Anything below that's going to be success. How do you feel like the fan base would respond to eight and four? Uh, probably not well, just because I know the fan base. Uh, <laughs> it's uh (laughs) and all eight and fours aren't created equal and the all eight and fours aren't created equal and in fairness to a&m fans they are paying jimbo a lot of money uh if they were to go eight and four again sure no doubt it's uh i mean i would personally be happy with eight and four but uh i don't think the majority of the fan base would yeah happy is not the right word uh but understand right you know it's like if it's eight and four and it looks like things are trending in a positive direction and three of those four losses are super close against ranked teams that are competing for conference championships and most of these guys coming back, I feel like you can talk yourself into a real big run in 2024 super quick. And that's yeah. where it feels like that, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm a Texas A&M fan, the thing I am most worried about is not necessarily the record of 2023, but how I feel about my football team going into 2024. Because 2024 is when the arms race against Texas starts back up again. And you cannot afford to walk into that gunfight with a knife, right? You got to feel like you're walking into it with a gun. And I feel like for both programs, 2023 is sure. We want to win. We want to win. Of course, right? I'm not, I'm obviously the, the starting linebacker in that room isn't like, well, we got to get ready for Texas in 20. I understand that. But from fans point of view, I feel like both fan bases are circling that calendar on 2024 and whoever is in best position to kind of win that in-state gunfight is going to propel themselves into a real national relevant conversation. Yeah. It's uh, I think I agree with you wholeheartedly that 2024 is the one to circle as far as AM goes. Uh, you also look at like the pieces that AM should theoretically have for 2024. Exactly. Exactly. So, because I mean, you have the the Wegman Evan Stewart duo going to be going into their third year, uh, and it, it's uh, I think that's a real chance for uh, for A and M to to take advantage of what should be theoretically a very very talented group. I can't wait, man. I can't I can't wait for like DJ Hicks to be blocked by DJ Campbell and Evan Stewart to be running routes against. 
you know, whatever cornerback Texas has at that time, Malik Muhammad or something like that. Like, it's going to be a lot of fun. I just can't wait to see the war of words of who has the worst loss. Yeah. And like the, the internet and the, and the, uh, you know, the transitive property, all of that is going to be out the window. It's going to be actually decided on the football field again, thankfully. Because for like over a decade now, as somebody who does not have a dog in either race, right? Like just as a casual observer who loves college football and grew up around the rivalry, um, it's been annoying to watch those two fan bases like argue about a fight that they can't fight, right? That's what it's felt like for 12 years. Like we'd beat your ass. No, we'd beat your ass. And it's like, well, let's go outside. But neither one of your administrators will. And so we're just going to like talk about whose season sucked less really is like what the conversation has come down to the last 12 or so years, the college football and particularly college football in the state of Texas is much better when the, when that rivalry is going on uh, because of the ripple effect it gives everybody else. And with the playoff expanding, there's going to be stakes uh, involved with it that have never before uh, been seen. A&M and Texas are in similar positions. It feels like as programs. So it doesn't feel like right now, there's like a big brother and a little brother, or this team is way more advanced than this team. And for most of my life, A&M was really good early on in my life, the late 80s and early 90s and stuff like that. And then Texas kind of took over uh, with Matt Brown's era. Uh, and so it'll be nice to kind of see them e- enter on equal playing field and kind of, you know, best man wins type situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. A little bit nervous, obviously, because, you know, I, uh, it's never fun to lose to a rival. Right. But uh, it, it will be fun to have a proper rival uh, in the conference again. Scared money don't make money, Jay Arnold. Scared money don't make money. We will. We are now entering kind of off-season mode. And so our plan right now, and we can always change it because we're in charge, our plan right now is to kind of do a, an episode every other week, uh, try to bring two a month uh, through kind of April, May, June, uh, then July, maybe crank it back up to once a week as conference media days start happening up. We could start, you know, previewing some of the teams, have some guests on. Uh, but let us know what you'd want to hear from us in the offseason, what topics you want to talk about. Maybe we'll open it up and, and bring in two or three questions a week that we can kind of build the show around, kind of make it dealer's choice, viewers, viewers' choice type situation. There. What was that football league that Johnny was playing in where you could like smoke weed? And like the the fans the were calling fan, plays and stuff. Yeah, fan football or something. We're gonna like do that. that. We're gonna do that for the podcast. The weed and the stuff too. On top of it, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody who's important started stopped listening a little bit a while yeah, ago. So yeah, now yeah. we can now we can riff a little bit. Uh, and so yeah, I, I think we're gonna aim for for every other week. Obviously, that changes if Nick Saban cuts a diss track on on uh, Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies again or something crazy happens <laughs> like. Any, any WWE promos? Yes, any WWE promos. We are back here uh, to discuss because we need we need college football to be more like the WWE. Honestly, in my opinion, if we could combine yeah. uh, college football, WWE, and rap music all in one thing, I, I'd really have it made completely. Um, and that's what I liked most about that Nick Saban Jimbo thing. It really did feel like a '90s rap beef um, or like you know Macho Man cutting something off on, on like the Ultimate Warrior or something like that. It was a real throwback. I enjoyed a lot of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the good place to finish. Let's finish on that one. Uh, For Jay Arnold, for Mike Craven, for Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Republic of Football Podcast Network, we will see you not next week, uh, but the week after that. Stay good.